Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Take your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a simple thought. I'm, uh, I'm not a prognosticator. I'm really not. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a pretty optimistic, happy guy. Uh, I'm not a, a doomsayer. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I live in the culture. We live in the same culture. It's not hard to recognize that things are changing, not just in our country, but, but around the world. Um, a lot of the things that we grew up with in terms of Christian capital, part of the culture, are evaporating. They're just not there like they used to be. Um, our moral foundations seem to be crumbling to a great degree. Um, things that we once just assumed were right and good, the world no longer does. And um, you know, the last several years, like for all of us, have been, I think, a very interesting learning curve. Uh, going through COVID, many of us have altered our services. We've, we've tried to do some things, but I think we've also noticed and maybe seen something, at least you know, I have, is that, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's easier sometimes to face overt challenge than it is to live in a culture of ease and comfort. I'm not so sure that maybe materialism hasn't rotted the root of, of much of our faith sometimes. I, I worry that if real trials and tribulation thrips us, you know, the book of Revelation was to come for us one day, you know, how we might stand. It's a concern. At the same time, I say that, you know, during COVID, we are people remarkably faithful. Like a lot of churches, our offerings went up. There was a core of people who they want to make sure that the work of the God was, was supported and sustained. And yet there was a, 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 you know, kind of a marginal group of people that um, maybe didn't stay as true as I would have wanted them to. And uh, so this thought comes from that. I preached the book of First Peter recently, really to try to encourage our people to be willing to stand, um, not knowing what may come for us in the future. It may roll on. I, I believe this. Every generation has had its evil. Every generation has, has its challenges. I, I would probably prefer to live in this age in a lot of ways um, than other times, of course, but I think every age has challenges. And so Peter has a thought here for us about standing fast in the culture. So if you would do that, if you stand with me this morning... My thoughts towards the end of the text, but I'm going to start our reading in verse 6. It's a beautiful text. And it says in verse number 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, this suffering is is common. It's a common denominator. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. And the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Mark, my son, and greet you one another with a kiss of charity, and peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we come together as a group of individuals, Lord, sharing ministry to your people in common. And Lord, I pray that as we look into this word, that Lord, first of all, we might heed its instruction for ourselves so that we might encourage, Lord, those whom we minister and serve to do the same. And Lord, whatever perilous times may come, I, I, I pray that you might find our hearts already standing, already in place, settled, so that, Lord, we may be faithful to you to whatever end you may bring. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing so very much. For the purpose of encouraging persecuted and hurting Christians, Peter had written what he calls in our text a brief letter. The literally meaning of that is he wrote this letter of what he saw as few words to teach and attest that the life that these people were experiencing was not outside the will of God. Peter's audience was in Asia Minor. Many of the people there, some were forced there in persecution by the Roman government who had a political policy of persecution. Under Nero, that persecution grew great, responsible most likely for the death of the Apostle Peter and also for the Apostle Paul. That would continue for several decades, um, all the way into Domitian, about 40, 50 years later. And so they were experiencing in Asia Minor, these seven churches that are referred to in Revelation and a great many others, an incredible daily persecution at the hands of Rome and a group of neighbors uh, that they had been moved into forcibly that probably was not happy to see them. And so Peter was writing that their experience was not set out of the will of God, nor was it beyond the grace of God to be able to endure or overcome. Peter writes because he understood that all too often we have a tendency, and it's, it's part of our humanity, it's not always evil if we can get past it. We question sometimes in difficulty, you know, where, where is God and where is his goodness? I, I don't feel in this moment of persecution maybe God's presence the way I want to. I, I don't see his blessings in the midst of hardship. And we wonder how can this be happening to us? Just for a moment, you know, I wouldn't ask, for any raise of hands, but most of us have been there. You know, most of us have, have fed some of these feelings. Why, why is this happening to me? Maybe not in some great self-pity, but we just wonder, why is this happening? And if we can't resolve this conflict of heart inside of us, then we can be further tempted to abandon and move away from our faith. There are many people who made bold claims to serve Christ. We might even know some in the ministry and in our churches, that at one time had a stand for Christ, and they had a testimony, and they were faithful, and they were a witness, and because difficult things found their way into their life, and they couldn't resolve that internal conflict and turmoil of heart and mind, in time they lost emotional control of that, and they moved away. 
And if we're not careful, we can move ourselves away from our high calling in Christ Jesus. Peter himself attests to his own vulnerability to this, that he understood the temptation of maybe being tempted to quit and to compromise. There was a time when a crisis of faith came for Peter himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Roman soldiers and Rome's threatening might overwhelmed he and his fellow disciples, taking Jesus to be crucified and making it clear in that encounter that his followers might soon follow in his footsteps. In the heat of this fiery trial, Peter tried to stay strong, but as we know, for a time he failed, denying his Lord multiple times and allowing for the accusatory words of just even a small girl to put him to flight. There was a time when Peter ran and he hid. For the moment, forsaking his loyalty to Christ in those days of initial persecution. You know, even after Jesus rose again and presented himself to Peter, while he was fishing, instead of being faithful and doing what God had called him to, Peter struggled to overcome his fears, his doubts, his own failure, his guilt and shame. And so when Peter says in the verses here that he is testifying of God's grace, he knew that his God's grace was big enough to help him overcome his own failed experience in serving God. He found out and realized in time that God's grace was sufficient, as he is saying in all things, even to forgive and call someone back, to take him through a trial persecution in a new way. And that was through the way of faith, the way of courage, the way of resolve and commitment. You know, for, for a time, Peter fell but Peter learned through grace that it's enough, God's grace is enough to make someone stand and see us through. That's the life Peter was living now. And that's the life he wanted to encourage these disciples in Asia Minor to live as well. He knew that difficult times were ahead, and Peter wanted to see them stand. Though Peter himself was slow to understand this, he came to believe with all his heart that hard times are not something necessarily to always be avoided. But rather, we want to travel and navigate those hard times with God's help and in His grace. The Bible teaches that suffering is a means that's often appropriated to us to help us grow with Christ. And if you and I choose to genuinely try to live for the Lord, if we identify ourselves with His namesake and to live for Him, we might discover life is not always going to be easy. Like Paul, Peter found out that attempting to escape pain is not always what God has for us. You know, Apostle Paul for a time had a thorn in the flesh. I suppose he lived and died with that. Paul was human. He he was like us. I, I don't know what that thorn was. There's all kinds of ideas about that. I know this. It moved him to the point that he wanted to go away. In his own mind, he felt like, minus his thorn, that he just might be a better servant for Christ. And there were three times that the Apostle Paul besought the Lord to take it away. And all three times he received the same reply, that Paul, my grace is sufficient. And that in your weakness, that I'm strong. You know, it's been in my heart as a pastor sometimes to see people in our congregation. And I thought, man, if I could just take that away from you. If I, if I could just lift that from you. We had a lady in our church, she had a partial lung. I mean partial one lung. 
and she was in her 80s, and she had very severe scoliosis. She pushed around an oxygen bottle. She, she could barely get, her, get around, but she had the most dynamic and joyful countenance of anybody I've ever met. She was the greatest soul winner that I have ever seen in my life. Uh, when Ferris Ann walked into the room, the whole place lit up. I mean, it was an amazing, and it was in my heart as a human to look at her. I loved her dearly. I just want to say, I just feel I could take that away from you. But you know, if I'd have taken that away, I may have taken more than I intended. And uh, she may not have been the person that God used her to be, minus that. You know, sometimes life's not all about avoiding pain. To use the metaphor of the last two years of safety first. And it's hard to be a disciple of Christ with the safety first mentality. I'm not against people taking care of themselves. I think we'd all share a very similar heart here. We want to take care of our people. We want to keep them safe. But when safety and ease and comfort and fear drive us as the children of God, we are not going to accomplish all he wants us to. We can't have the testimony that we're supposed to. Peter and Paul had learned through God's will that suffering was a means to strength. And the Lord wants us to have that. Peter stopped judging his life in the moment by its freedom from pain, as Paul did. He stopped living just for the present. Instead, he was able to fix his head and his, his heart on an inheritance that was incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, that was reserved in heaven for him forever, and that God would keep us by his power unto that day of salvation. And these are the words that he speaks to us in chapter 1 of, the same, of this same text is that there is something coming for us that's far more uh, glorious, it's far more amazing than we can comprehend than our present sufferings. You know, we have to learn not to compare those to the, the eternal glory that is coming. For I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered to the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Peter gained a bigger vision of life and its suffering. He saw an eternal picture. And so now he was encouraging these persecuted Christians in Asia Minor to see that same reality and to live for the Lord in a greater way by standing, by standing for truth and standing for the faith and, and for standing for right. Peter most likely wrote this brief letter while in Rome. The text of verse 13 says that the church that is that we're in Babylon, the elect together here, salute you. Almost every commentator agrees that Babylon here is probably a reference to Rome. In Babylon, of course, the reference to everything evil in, in the world, especially in the Jewish mind. It was the center of the devil's schemes and antagonism towards God. And Peter is simply referring, implying that Rome is now the spiritual, the spiritual epicenter of Babylon, Satan's work against God. In Rome, there was severe persecution ongoing. It was everywhere. Rome was the, the cause of his own suffering at the moment. It's commonly accepted that Peter was martyred by being crucified upside down, or so by Nero, somewhere in the, the year around 64 A.D. It very well could be that Peter was already under house arrest and would soon suffer this fate. In these verses, he's basically saying, we here at Babylon salute you. I, I, I may not be in Asia Minor, but here I'm suffering the same persecution that you are. It, it's the same words that the Apostle John 
opens the apocalypse with in the book of Revelation. I, John, your brother, your fellow companion in Thripsis Tribulation. In other words, it's this identification that together we're suffering something, but there's a worthy cause for all of us doing this together. He, he was encouraging these people that I, I am being faithful, I'm doing all I can, and we are encouraging you to do the same. Sylvanus was his companion. He also worked with the Apostle Paul. He very well may have written this letter by dictation or simply been the man carrying the letter to the house churches in Asia Minor and further explain the contents. And so here Peter's commanding them to be faithful. And he brings all this together in the events of Peter's life, the situation in Rome and Asia Minor, to write these few words of faith that God, that he was inspired to write to be an encouragement until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what captured my attention here, there, there's so much great, many things to preach and to teach, I, I think, in this chapter. And the context, you know, would handle this maybe a little bit differently. But if you like, take your Bibles and look with me in verse 12 just for a moment. There's a thought here that captured my attention. And it says, By Sylvanus, the faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying. Then he says this, that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And I'm not a grammarian. I dissect this completely. And, of course, I know he's saying in part that, you know, there's a true grace. There's a grace that we all know and identify together. But I think what he's doing is he's looking at these people who are suffering. He's looking at these hurting Christians who are giving the very best to serve God. And they're going through these trials of afflictions. Some of them have their property stolen. Some have been relocated. Others are in jail. They've been alienated by the culture. It's hard to find food. My guess is it's, they're not finding jobs. In their lifetime, you know, so many things were happening. Jerusalem would be destroyed. All the apostles were dying. And these people in Asia Minor have been scattered and moved from their families and homes. And, and they've got us going to be looking around and going, what is happening? And I think Peter's saying this, that faith, this faith, the faith you are living in the midst of this trial. What, what you are experiencing, it is part of the grace of God. This is part of the plan of God. He says, don't find it strange that you find yourself in some fiery trial. Don't think it odd or, you know, in contemporary Christianity, this is so foreign to us. You know, we want to give so we, we get. And that's a true biblical principle, but we... We press this stuff out of measure and out of sort. You know, we're always, we want, we're wanting all the principles that we live to pay off in some way in the immediate now. And it does. But, but, but there's a time in, a, in, in the Christian life that sometimes that Peter's alluding to here that this faith, what I'm going through, what you're going through, what you're going through, this is the grace of God. This is part of God's plan. And here's the thought in that everything that happens is covered under the umbrella of God's grace. Everything, every scenario, every eventuality, every possibility, every need, every circumstance is covered by the grace of God. And no matter the circumstance, God wants us to stand in that circumstance. 
Peter's, Peter's final words are a summary of all that he said before. He gives his reason for the writing this truth that he wants them to receive encouragement and testimony and to do so. And, and, and I'm going to say it this way. Peter's saying, I want this life, the life you're living, the life you're experiencing, whatever you're going through right now, I want you to know it's covered by the grace of God. There is sufficient grace for anything and everything you're going through. What God's grace provides for you is enough. I say that, you know, and I don't mean it tritely. I wouldn't stand here just screaming at people to do right. I'm like Peter, um, like Paul. Most of us have a thorn in the flesh. We'd like to go away physically, emotionally, something in church. And um, I wouldn't just yell at you and say, man, stand. But I can say this with all the empathy I, I know. If God allows you to go through it, then there's grace for it. There's grace for it. And I wouldn't even um, pretend to understand different kinds of pains, different kinds of hurts. My life's limited in its exposure to things. But I can say on the authority of the Word of God, whatever it is that God brings, you know, been, there's, there's been enough grace the last two years for people to stand if they wanted to, to navigate this. I have a pastor's heart. But the truth is, I can't take away your pain. I can't cure your diseases. I probably can't even fix your marriage in two counseling sessions. I can't fix your financial crisis. I can't take away the sting and emptiness of a loss. I can't help, help you feel better because you've been betrayed or stabbed in the back. I can't fix the way that ugly people treat us sometimes or treat each other. But I can attest and say with all authority that there hath no temptation or trial taken you but such as common to the experience of man. And that our God is faithful. And he will not allow any of us to suffer beyond that what we can of that temptation. He'll make us always able... And with that way of temptation, that trial, that thrips us, that, that, that difficulty, he'll also make a way to escape. And the word, the word escape here doesn't mean, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that there's a trial here, always a temptation here, and that I can find a way to navigate around it so that it doesn't hurt me. That's not, that's not life. What he's saying is that sometimes... That, that in this temptation, that I can overcome it, that I can be bigger than this, that I can be an overcomer in Christ, that I do not have to allow this temptation to destroy me and, and, and to destroy my work and my character and my testimony and my hope in God. The roaring lion can't always be avoided. Sometimes he has to be overcome. He has to be challenged and taken on in the grace of God and to find out that you can navigate through that. 
God will deliver us not from pressure sometimes, but in the pressure and through it. That's why it says in Ephesians, Wherefore, take you to the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. Did you already said? Not avoid the evil day, but stand in it, to navigate it, to, 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 to not dip our colors, to, to stay true to Christ. We, 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 may, we, we may be feeble, we may, we may you know, tremble a bit, we, we, we may not be sure, but we can get through it. And we can stand, therefore, and take the shield of faith, and with the help of God and each other and God's grace, we can take on whatever comes our way. That is our calling to stand. It is something that we have to choose to do, though. And I want to say there are not other options for the Christian. This is the only option that honors and glorifies God. So that means that failing to stand is is failing to see God as he is. Not taking up the shield of faith, not having eyes fixed on Christ, not living up to the possibility of the grace that he provided is to fail of these things. It's quitting, it's souring, it's complaining, it's, it's giving up when we've been given the grace to do better. It's refusing to be miserable and despondent. It's refusing to become bitter and angry and faithless. That, those things are not for the people of God even in the fiery trial. See, we have, we have this grace, this true grace. The amazing grace of God, the, the grace and the peace that passes all understanding. When I preach like texts like this, I'm not trying to be superficial, nor you know, in a phony way, inspirational or motivational. I want to be an encouragement to you today that even though trials have come and are coming, you and I can stand. We have to stand. The people who are receiving these words, I've I've told our people this, I want you to understand this in the context. To the people whom Peter, and then in time Paul, and of course John wrote to, he was asking these people to stand, even if that stance took them to death. And I just, I just look at some Christian response over the last several years, and I'm not sure we fully grasp what we've been called to do. But the Lord has called us to stand, and to stand in a good heart, to stand in a good spirit, of course, to stand for truth, to stand for what's right, to stand for faithfulness, and then to encourage everyone whom we serve to do the same, to stand. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do that. Would you, with me, stand? You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, Join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, 
visit enrichmentretreat.com.